We're continuing in our study of Leviticus, the great theme of the book, how do we get back into fellowship with God? How does Moses standing outside the tabernacle, how do the people of God get back in? That's what the book of Leviticus tells us, and we come this morning to chapter 14, verses 1 through 9. Our New Testament complementary passage is John's Gospel, chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. So if you would open your Bibles to John's Gospel, chapter 3, and in honor of God's Word, please stand. John 3, hear God's word. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen. But you do not receive our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Thus far in the reading of God's word, please turn to Leviticus chapter 14, beginning in verse 1 and continuing in the reading of God's word. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, This shall be the law of the leprous person for the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought to the priest, and the priest shall go out of the camp, and the priest shall look. Then if the case of the leprous disease is healed in the leprous person, the priest shall command them to take him who is to be cleansed, to take for him who is to be cleansed two live clean birds and cedar wood and scarlet yarn and hyssop. And the priest shall command them to kill one of the birds in an earthenware vessel, over fresh water. He shall take the live bird with the cedar wood and the scarlet yarn and the hyssop and dip them and the live bird in the blood of the bird that was killed over the fresh water. And he shall sprinkle it seven times on him who is to be cleansed of the leprous disease. Then he shall pronounce him clean and shall let the living bird go into the open field. And he who is to be cleansed shall wash his clothes and shave off all his hair and bathe himself in water and he shall be clean. And after that he may come into the camp but live outside his tent seven days. And on the seventh day he shall shave off all his hair from his head, his beard and his eyebrows. He shall shave off all his hair and then he shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water and he shall 
be clean. Thus far in the reading of God's word, let us pray. Father, as we have read, we come to the hearing of your word. We pray that you would open our eyes. Let us behold your majesty, the majesty of our Savior. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. My family background, my history, is connected to the American South. And one of the things that is a big marker for uh, the American South, and this may be in other cultures, it may be in other geographic regions, uh, I don't know, but I do know, for the American South, a big marker is the idea of cemeteries. Family plots... Cemeteries, the, the, the family cemetery that's associated with the church that our family has been members of for 18 generations, and all my last names are all out there. And after church, we might go out after Sunday service, we might go have a picnic in the cemetery. And, and it's just a, it's a thing. And the reason it's a thing is because those cemeteries serve to connect us to a story that's bigger than us. It serves to connect us to our parents and our grandparents and our cousins and our uncles and aunts. And we tell the stories of our family. We tell the stories of where we came from because they give our own story context. Without a story, without a place, without a sense of how I got here, what I'm doing here and where I'm going, Without a story, our lives wander aimlessly. I think that's one of the markers of our cultural moment in which we live today. That we have lost, as a nation, a unifying story. I don't know what our unifying story is, and I think that reflects itself in the nature of our disagreements. But I lived in Uganda, I labored, ministered in Uganda for eight years, and I can't tell you the number of times, and it wasn't, uh, to be fair, it was not just in Uganda. I have heard this out of a lot of people's mouths over more than two decades of ordained ministry. When I pressed them on, you can't do this, you can't do that, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do that, the response is, you don't understand my culture. You don't understand my culture. And that's all a culture is. A culture is a story. It's the story of who we are. And so when I say I don't understand your culture, I'm saying I don't understand your story. And when you say that you don't understand my culture, you're saying you don't understand my story. And so my response as a pastor has always been, you're absolutely right, I don't understand your culture. And you don't understand your culture either. Because God's word tells me this is my new culture. God's word tells me this is my new family. God's word tells me this is my identity. This is nothing less than a new birth. I am born again. 
I am born into a family, into the kingdom of God. I am born into righteousness, and I'm born into a story that begins all the way back in Genesis with God created this world beautiful and perfect and in perfect fellowship with God, and we blew it. First chance we got, we blew it. And ever since then, God has been directing history back to show the glory of redemption in Christ Jesus. And so all of these things, as we've been looking at the tabernacle in Exodus, and all those details about the tabernacle, again, the point is, Exodus is not so you and me can build backyard tabernacles. That's not why it's 15 meters this way and 42 that way and cubits this and that and so that you and I can build our own little convenient replica. The same thing with Leviticus. Leviticus is not some caveman version of a medical textbook. Leviticus is showing us a problem. And it's a problem that leprosy itself is a metaphor for. It's a problem of corruption, of sin. Corruption that eats from the inside. That by the time you see the manifestation of it, it has consumed you. Corruption that cuts you off from all of your family, all of your friends, all of your livelihood. Your identity is now in this corruption. And it can strike anywhere arbitrarily anyone from a king to a slave. The greatest terror of an Israelite's life would be, oh my goodness, is that hair turning white? Is that hair turning dark? Is that wound healing? Is this getting better or getting worse? Because as soon as it gets worse, my life is over. So now look at the scene with me in the first nine verses of chapter 14. Here's our scene. You can look at your Bible if it helps you. But I just want to look at this scene. I want to look at the scene that is set before us. And in this scene, I just want to look at three components. The first is, there's clearly healing that's happening here. We're going to look at the healing. The second is, there's a substitution. This whole business with the bird and the dipping and the all that. There's a substitution here. And then thirdly, there is the new birth. What Nicodemus should have seen. From this passage. <laughs> Healing, substitution, and new birth. So, you can look again at your passage. Leviticus chapter 14, verse 1. And here is the scene. The leper, cut off from the camp, cut off from family, cut off from his own tent. He has been exiled outside of the camp for who knows how long, and one day he says, you know what, I think it's gone. 
And that leper comes, the healed man comes, but he can't enter the camp. Did you see in verse 2? The priest has to go out to him. And so just imagine what is going through that leper's mind. I think I'm healed. And I look out at the camp and I see my friends, my family, my wife and children that I've been cut off from because I was unclean. And that longing to be back amongst the people, back amongst literally the land of the living, and I'm standing outside and I'm waiting for a priest. And I see him exit the tabernacle, but there's hundreds and thousands of people in between him and the edge of the camp. And as that priest goes, he gets called aside by one person. He gets called aside by another person. And maybe I don't even get to see the priest that day. And I'm standing there burning with desire and pain and longing and hope and fear that maybe my hope isn't realized. And, and, and all of the terror and hopeful angst. Until finally that priest arrives. That busy priest. And that busy priest, when he finally arrives, isn't even the one that heals. There's no hint in our passage that the priest or any topical medication or any antibiotics, (laughs) there is no indication of any active role other than the priest recognizing the healing that God has done and declaring it to be clean, declaring it to be right. So both, he's coming before an ineffective priest and he's coming before a very busy, overwhelmed, and distracted priest. Now, obviously, we go from there to the high priest, to Jesus Christ, his role as priest. How does Christ execute the office of a priest? Christ executes the office of a priest in his once offering of himself as a sacrifice for sin and in his continuing to make intercession for us. Beloved, there is a priest that is so available, so ready, and so eager. Since we're dealing with images and visions here, this priest, as he was nailed to a cross and as he saw the dark cloud of God's wrath and judgment barreling down upon his head, Coming over the horizon, he knew what was coming after him. He looked down and he said, John, this is your mother. Take care of her. There's a priest. There's a sympathetic high priest, brothers and sisters. And there is one who not only is immediately, completely there at your moment of need, But he is the one who also does the healing. 
He doesn't just recognize it. He affects it. We see the same thing in our second point, which is the issue of the substitution. We've got two birds. Two birds here. It's interesting, if if you've been with us for a while, you know all the different animals that can be offered as sacrifices and all of that. The two birds is the sacrifice of the absolute impoverished. It is the poorest of the poor. It's the sign that I have nothing but two birds. We've got the two birds, the sign of the poor. We've got the cedar, the scarlet yarn, the hyssop. None of it explained here, simply mentioned, cedar wood, scarlet yarn, and hyssop. But we do know that these are always associated with a ritual cleansing. Uh, it, it comes up also in, in numbers with the cleansing of the tabernacle. Ritual cleansing. Items of ritual cleansing. Poverty, ritual cleansing. But then, look at verse 5. I love this. Look at verse 5. The water itself. Most English translations will say fresh water. And if you've got a little, you know, study Bible or whatever, you may look underneath it and it'll tell you what the actual Hebrew word is. The actual Hebrew word is living water. It's the exact word that is used in the creation account when God says repeatedly that he brought forth living things. The earth swarmed with living things. And now it's the living water that the priest is to bring. Now, yes, it means fresh in this context, not stagnant. But, beloved, when Jesus stands up and says, out of me flows living water, I am the living water. He is that bowl that sprinkles the leper. He is the water in the bowl. John takes up this image of the mixture of the blood and the water in his account of the crucifixion in John chapter 19, I think it's verse 26, where the soldiers pierce Jesus' side and John specifically says, out of his side flowed blood and water. Now you have all heard that. And you may have all heard it like I did, as, well, the spear pierced the pericardium, which is the outside of the heart muscle. (laughs) No. What I do know is that right here we've got the leper who's got a living bird drenched in blood and water and being thrown seven times. And out of Jesus' side comes blood and water. He says, I am the living water. The only missing piece of this puzzle is who's the leper. It's all laid out for us here, brothers and sisters. (laughs) It's all laid out here. That's the only missing piece of the puzzle. That's what Nicodemus couldn't get. That bird 
There's two birds, one broken neck, blood in the water, the second bird. Again, let's come back to our scene here. Here's the priest standing here. He's killed one bird, broken it, broke, poured the blood. He's, he's taken a living bird. He's dipped that bird into this gory mess of blood and water. And seven times he sprinkled this blood and water on the man or woman. And then he lets that bird go. That bird goes, flies off into the fields. The very bird that was the substitution, the very bird that was dipped in blood and water, the very bird that identified itself with the cleansed leopard is the bird still drenched in blood and gore emerging from death to a glorious life and resurrection and joy. Imagine what that bird was singing as it flew away. (laughs) Imagine what that bird, what was coming out of that bird's mouth as it beat its little wings And it headed out just as quickly as it ever could. Set free from death. To live again. And then thirdly and finally we see in this passage. The new birth. We've seen this healing that takes place. We've seen this substitution that's at the very center of it. And now we see this new birth. Verse 8, he who is to be cleansed shall wash his clothes and shave off all his hair and bathe himself in water and he shall be clean. After that he may come into the camp and live outside his tent seven days. And on the seventh day he shall shave off all his hair from his head, his beard, his eyebrows. He shall shave off all his hair. Then he shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water and he shall be clean. It's interesting that the priest has done this substitutionary ritual. He's recognized that the man does not have leprosy anymore because he's allowed him back into the camp. He's observed this man does not have active leprosy. He's done the the cleansing ritual to, to signify it. And then he brings him back into the camp. But for seven days, that man has to sit outside his own tent. For seven days, that cleansing is not yet complete. Until finally, on the eighth day, seven days of preparation, seven days of purification, seven days for ordination back with Aaron and the priests, seven days, it's finally complete. And he comes out of the experience like a newborn baby. Not a hair on his body, washed and cleaned from head to toe. You must be born again. It's so clear. How could Nicodemus, a teacher in Israel, 
not see it. How many of us have thought, well, Nicodemus, you know, I don't know, I don't, not, I guess I can understand how you couldn't. How could Nicodemus not see Leviticus chapter 14, verses 1 through 9? Tell me if I did not just walk through that entire scene with you to where it clearly shows what Jesus says. That you must be born again. And you know why Nicodemus didn't see it? You know why Nicodemus could not see it? You know why many people today cannot see it? It's not because they're intellectually deficient. It's not because they haven't studied enough commentaries. It's not because they don't speak well. There's only one missing piece of this puzzle, brothers and sisters, and it's jumping up and down and waving its arms, and it's slapping you and me all over the place. Who's the bird that is killed? Jesus. Who's the living water into which that bird's blood is poured? Jesus. Who's the priest who comes and declares the cleansing? Jesus. Who is the healer? Jesus. Who is the substitute? Jesus. What's the missing piece of the puzzle? Who's the leper? And beloved, that's the holdup. I would rather say Leviticus is a complicated lecture about the distinction between this skin disease and that skin disease and the other. and the, I would rather engage this entire culture, this entire book. I wonder which verse is at the very middle. If we count up all the words at the beginning and we count all the words from the end, what's the very central verse in this Bible and does that mean anything? And what would it mean in Hebrew if we, if we counted up all the Hebrew letters and... I'd rather spend my days doing that than admit that I'm the leper. But beloved, Nicodemus finally saw it. Somewhere between the passage that we read and Jesus' burial, Nicodemus saw it. Nicodemus saw that he was a leper. And he saw that this was more than a teacher. The last point that I want to make as we turn our eyes back to that little cleansed leper. That man, that woman, so many years ago, Finally allowed back, finally allowed back to his family, finally restored to his community, finally restored to a place of safety and health, finally back home. Do you think that man or woman 
do you think their life was changed by that experience? Do you think maybe that experience of being outside the camp and labeled unclean, that terror, do you think maybe it changed, I don't know, their hygiene? How carefully they looked at spots popping up on their skin in the future? Do you think maybe it changed the way they understood God? To know that this was a disease that nobody healed me from but God. This this was a death curse. You know what leprosy is. We can call it Hansen's disease to try to make it sound less horrible. You know what it is. God cured them. Do you think it changed their life? I think the more that you and I recognize our leprosy, the more that you and I understand and live and engage with God's mercy and grace. The the one who is the leper, who knows what it is to have that gory, bloody mess splashed on him seven times in public, shaved all over head to toe, ostracized from the people, provisionally let back in, finally restored. The one who knows that is probably going to be a grateful person, careful and loving person, person passionate for holiness. The leper healed. The one born again. We're born again because the one who was the only one who was born sinless, the only one who should never have died is the one who did. The one whose body was ripped into, broken for you. The one whose righteousness you and I need becomes the one in whom we have nourishment. Father, even as your gospel is sweet upon our ears, it is sweet upon our lips. Even as your gospel nourishes our souls, it nourishes our bodies. And Father, may this week our lives be tuned just a little more closely to the divine harmonies of all creation singing your praises. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.